So, we're into the final throws of this January window. This is Transfer Daily. I'm Adam Leventhal. No time to waste. On today's edition, we'll dissect an article from James Pearce on the Liverpool transfers that didn't happen. And there are some amazing names involved in that. Uh, Jack Lang has been busy digging deep on the background of Bruno Fernandes. He's on the show as well. Plus, we'll talk Everton and Richarlison, plus Wolves too. First up, I just wanted to tell you about our plans for deadline day. Now, every hour from 9am all the way through until the 11pm deadline, you're going to be receiving short, sharp podcast updates on this feed from me to keep you up to date with exactly what is going on. We're going to be joined by our reporters to bring us the latest developments from around the country. Uh, we'll also try and react to things that you would like to know as well on deadline day. Uh, we'll also be able to uh, point you in the direction of some of the features that we'll be dropping as and when deals go through. And it basically means that you can check in with a little audio hit. It should be uh, good to follow all the news all the way through. Now, this is going to be uh, available exclusively to subscribers on deadline day. But don't worry, if you're not signed up yet, we have a special offer for you so you can be part of it. You need to use the promo code TRANSFERPOD. That's TRANSFERPOD for a 40% discount. And then you can enjoy the roller coaster ride that is deadline day with us on The Athletic. Okay, let's speak to James Pierce about an article that has dropped on The Athletic all about the players that so very nearly joined Liverpool. We're not going to go through them all, James. People can read for themselves, but there are some amazing names involved. Uh, I've picked out three. Let's run through them. They came ever so close to getting a very young Gareth Bale, didn't they? Yeah, well, I think when I was putting this one together, uh, the, the Bale one was my, my personal favourite because uh, I certainly hadn't, hadn't heard this one before that Liverpool had uh, had actually made a proposal to Southampton. Um it's it's hard to believe really now. Yeah, the 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 offer on the table was swapping Darren Potter, who was, uh, you know, fair to say, uh, you know, an, an industrious rather than uh, supremely talented homegrown midfielder who was on loan at Southampton at the time. And uh, you know, Liverpool's scouting delegation had actually gone to watch one of Bale's uh, Southampton teammates, David McGoldrick, and uh, you know the, the the feedback to Benitez, I'm told, was uh, you know forget McGoldrick, he he isn't one for us. But there's this 16 year old kid called Gareth Bale at left back that we should we should definitely make a move for uh, and interestingly you know Bale wasn't actually really pulling up any trees at Southampton at the time and um they weren't they weren't completely against the idea it was the issue was that they wanted they they were keen to keep Potter who was on loan but they would they would have wanted money plus Potter for Bale and uh, Liverpool just just wouldn't entertain that for a kid who they thought was was still kind of more potential than uh, than any than anything else so um yeah, that that's one to definitely file under uh, one of the one of the the gems that that escaped their grasp. So that's Gareth Bale, who ended up heading to Tottenham and then on to Real Madrid, where he played with Cristiano Ronaldo. And Ronaldo was one that could have also been a Liverpool player. Yeah, again, Ronaldo is you know how how different the, the landscape of English football may have looked if. Uh, if Ronaldo had ended up at Anfield rather than uh, than, than Old Trafford back in two thousand and three, I know I had a good chat with Phil Thompson, who was Liverpool's assistant manager at the time, 
uh, to Gerard Julio this week, and you know he was telling me that uh, you know both him and Gerard had, had travelled across to to watch the Sporting Lisbon youngster in action, and um, you know he, he, at one point you know he he seemed pretty optimistic. He said that you know they'd they'd been told that a fee would be four million pound, and that Ronaldo would want a million per year after tax, salary wise, which. I think he, he felt that that was an issue, but not a completely insurmountable one in, in terms of the club's wage structure for someone who was still a, a kid, really. Um, but things moved very, very fast in terms of Alex Ferguson and Manchester United outflanking Liverpool because uh, whilst well, Phil Thompson went back and gave the feedback to Gerard Houllier and, and he spoke to Rick Parry about what they could possibly propose, um, Phil Thompson told me that uh, he was sat at Melwood and there on the yellow ticker on Sky Sports News, it says Manchester United signed Cristiano Ronaldo from Sporting for £12.2 million. And you know, he said he couldn't believe his eyes that for a start, the fee had gone from £4 million to £12.2 in a, in a few days and the fact that uh, United had got moved so quickly to get the deal done. And the third player of a whole host of names that you highlighted that I had to pick out was Sergio Aguero because he could have been a Liverpool player too. Yeah, well, Liverpool's South American scouts had, had uh, you know, were, were, were certainly on to Sergio Aguero. I think he'd, he'd he'd burst into the Independiente team. I think he was only 15 when he made his, his senior debut there. And speaking to to a member of Benitez's backroom staff this week, he was they were saying that you know they they were getting this you know amazing feedback on this this kid, this Argentinian who you know they felt was going to be the next big thing. And he said his his movement, his touch, his finishing were just out of this world and you know Liverpool inquired to Independiente how much it would take they were they were quoted 16 million um but you know the the issue that Liverpool had around that around that time was that that was that was a big chunk of their entire transfer budget for for someone who wasn't going to be probably ready to perform probably effectively week in week out for the first team for a couple of years and the the backroom staff member told me that you know the issue with them was that you know Liverpool just couldn't spend that kind of money on a on one for the future, every signing at that point needed to be someone who could come in and, and improve the team immediately. And of course, Aguero would end up joining Atletico Madrid for, I think it was 20 odd million euros in 2007, and then uh, ending up at uh, Manchester City a few years later. And uh, you know what? What a what a player he's he's been in the Premier League era, one of the one of the greatest. And uh, yeah, I think it would have been a, a delight for Liverpool fans to to, to see him at Anfield. It is a brilliant article. Do check it out uh, via the Liverpool feed or just search uh, James Pierce's name and the author tab on the app. Uh, and James, just before you go, I wanted to get your take on this from the blue side of Merseyside. Patrick Bone here, one of the Athletics Everton correspondents. The big news on Wednesday night was the report from Sky Sports of an £85 million bid, believed to be from Barcelona for Richarlison. We've since spoken to sources on both sides of the potential deal and have been met with pretty firm denials that a bid was even made. We know Richarlison is a player Barcelona like and that they're in the market for a striker, but there are serious financial impediments to a deal in any case. They struggled to get a move over the line for Valencia striker Rodrigo Moreno, and that was a much lower fee to the one mentioned for, for Richarlison. Everton now consider the matter closed. From a personal perspective, I've, I've found it interesting to see reaction to this reported bid. It seems a fair few people in the wider media and in the public at large are kind of underestimating Richarlison's market value or at least his value to Everton. He recently signed a lucrative deal until 2024, is already into double figures this season and is a current Brazil international who scored the decisive penalty at the Copa America. 
Given Everton were quoted around £80 million, we're led to believe for Wilfred Zaha over the summer. Is £85 million for the much younger Richarlison even that far-fetched? To be honest, I'm, I'm not so sure. So that's Paddy's take, James. From your point of view, and having seen the business that Liverpool have done over the years and in you know recent months as well, is Richarlison worth £85 million? Personally, I don't think Richarlison is worth £85 million. I know how ridiculously inflated the, the transfer market has, has become in terms of the fees banded around, but um, I, I don't think he belongs in that kind of elite category. I think if, if the situation was different and Everton had more attacking options, I would think that they'd be they'd be mad to turn down a figure like that if if a bid of that size was was on the table. But you know, if I, I I don't see how Everton could possibly even entertain letting Richarlison go because of the the predicament they're in. Um, you know, they've they they desperately need to get themselves up that Premier League table. They're they, they're short of firepower anyway. I think what are they only only probably four four points off the the top six at the moment. So it's not impossible that they could go on and secure European qualification this season. Um, but the only way they're going to be able to do that is if they keep Richarlison on board. James, brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. And I'm sure we'll catch up with you at some stage on deadline day. Um, from the deals that didn't happen at Liverpool to one that has gone through in the last few hours at Wolves. Hi guys, it's Tim Spears here, the Athletics Wolves writer. Uh, it's a case of one down and one to go for Wolves, who today announced the signing of Portuguese forward Daniel Pedence from Olympiacos in a deal worth £17 million. He'll provide competition for Adama Traore, Diogo Jota and Pedro Neto, but Wolves would also really like to sign a backup central striker to Raul Jimenez after the departure of Patrick Catroni at the start of the month, so that's going to be their focus for the next 24 hours. Um, they've had a couple of bids for AK Athens striker Nelson Oliveira rejected. He's still an option with a release clause of £5.5 million, but they're looking at several other targets and hoping, I'm told, to get one over the line. On the outgoings front, expect to see a few youngsters depart on loan. As for the senior squad, there's been interest shown in centre-half Ryan Bennett, who's fallen down the pecking order and, and missed out on the last couple of squads. But no offers have been received yet, and I'm told it's unlikely he'll be allowed to leave uh, should an offer come in before Friday's deadline. OK, let's switch now to one of the big deals of the window, and that's Bruno Fernandes joining Manchester United. Jack Lang has been taking a, a deep dive into the world of Bruno Fernandes and uh, Jack joins us now just explain why I would ask you if when he walks into his new home is he going to be slapping post-it notes on everything he sees <laughs> yeah that, that little story dates back to his time uh, when he moved to Italy as a 17 year old moved there quite bravely I think given that he hadn't even played first team football yet and didn't speak a word of Italian and the man who discovered him, who took him to, to Novara, a, quite a small team in Italy's second division at the time, told me that he, he walked into Bruno Fernandes' apartment a few weeks after, after the move just to check out how he was doing and saw what amounted to like a CSI crime scene, just post-it notes everywhere on the table, on the chairs, on the fridge, on the posters. And that was Bruno Fernandes's attempt to learn Italian vocab as quickly as he could. He just put all the Italian words on every item in his house. Uh, it worked by all accounts. Fernandes was fluent within a few months. Uh, I don't think we'll be seeing that in Manchester, not least because it, his English is actually fairly decent. But it certainly speaks to his uh, adaptability and his desire to, to settle in his new environment. And I think that should bode well for his time uh, in England. 
Another thing that came out of the article, and I suppose it's sort of a, a continuation of that intelligent head that he's got on his shoulders, is how meticulous he is in his post-match analysis as well. Do you think he's going to be watching games back, you know, the full 90 minutes, as you mentioned in, in your article, when he's at Old Trafford? Yeah, that's one of his, his habits. The people who know him best say he's very driven, very serious about getting as much as he can from his talent, whether that's uh, his daily naps, he's, he's someone who puts a lot of emphasis on rest and recovery, or, or yeah, watching videos back. So at, at Sporting, for example, every game he played, he, he, the moment he walked back through his, his front door, whether that was after an away game even at 2, 3 a.m., he would sit down and watch the whole game in its entirety. So obviously players watch a lot of videos in preparation, but you know, this isn't someone who is happy with a 10-minute highlights package or something like that. He, he really wants to dig in to the, to the nitty-gritty, really, of his own performances. And yeah, I, I think that kind of ambition, well, the guy who took him to Italy likened it to, to Cristiano Ronaldo, which I'm sure will be uh, music to the ears of Manchester United fans. Yeah, if he can live up to those standards, then he should do okay. <laughs> I mean, on that point, though, you know, he's been obviously performing very, very well at sporting. His output in terms of goals and assists has been fantastic. But it, what comes across as well in the piece that there's almost an acknowledgement now from himself, from those around him who've helped his development, that it is now time to deliver. He knows that this is the big chance to show how, how big a star he could be. Yeah, I think that's right. He's he's 25. He's no longer a, a young player, and I think his his path so far has has prepared him for this. Obviously, going to Italy young that was that was a big challenge. It's a very uh, I suppose he went out on a limb trying to get his career kickstarted there, and it, it did go well. I mean, he wasn't a, a superstar in Italy, but he performed very solidly in in the top flight at, at a young age. Obviously, he went home to Portugal. Uh, that wasn't necessarily a step up, but it has allowed him to gain confidence to to bring the goals to his game that weren't there before. And he, he's also developed real leadership skills in a tricky situation at Sporting Lisbon. I think that will help his uh, adaptation and his ability to rise to future challenges off the pitch. And now, yeah, I, th I think that it has all really been, been leading to this point. He's always dreamed about playing in England, as, as many players do, of course. The feeling you get when you speak to the people around him is that uh, it's been a, everything else has been, been an apprenticeship to get to this point. He, he probably wanted to, to move to England last summer. He was very close to moving to, to Tottenham and was very keen on that. So perhaps you might say this has come you know, a year, maybe a year and a half later than it should have done had the finances lined up with some of those interested parties before. But yeah, at 25, he looks well-placed to, to kick on now and certainly he'll need to start performing quickly. It's not a, it's not a signing for the future. When you, when you pay that kind of money for a 25-year-old, you, you do need them to, to hit the ground running, really. And so I suppose that comes with its own pressure. But then at this level of the game, that's part and parcel, isn't it? Yeah, and just a final point on, on that. Obviously, yes, he wants to perform for his, you know, his own soul, but Manchester United need him to perform to get them up to that desired higher level. You discuss his, his temperament in there. Obviously, off the field, you know, he's, he's very organised and we, we know that. But he has had his moments. So I'm just wondering how the, the pressure cooker atmosphere of Manchester United, if things don't 
go to plan right from the start how he will cope with it. Do you think his his maybe more fiery temperament may be on show? Yeah, I think that's possible. He, he's not afraid to speak his mind. Uh, I, I found some quotes from his, from his brother who said even as a kid, he was basically always had to have the last word. Didn't matter who he was speaking to. He'd always uh, tell truth to power, essentially. Obviously, Manchester United is, is a bigger club than he's ever played at. But in terms of pressure, I don't think it does get much more intense than sporting has been the last few years. And this is someone who was involved in a, an invasion of the training ground. You know, sporting fans broke into to the club's training complex, armed and kind of beat up players and smashed the place up. So from that point of view, coping with that and then captaining the side afterwards and really you know, that, that 33 goal season came at a time of real desperation for sporting. Uh, I'm sure the problems at Manchester United won't seem insurmountable to someone who has come through that so well. We shall see. We wish him well. And I, uh, I wish you well as well, Jack, on deadline day. Enjoy it. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, Adam. See you soon. OK, so that's Jack. And uh, his article is available right now on The Athletic. And I suppose it's, it's worth pointing out that over the next few days, obviously there's going to be new signings dropping in at various different clubs and The Athletic is certainly the place to get those in-depth pieces on the new signing at your club. Uh, we'll also be following the developing stories as you would expect throughout deadline day uh, with our live discussion in the community section of the app. Uh, our reporters are going to be dipping in and out of that throughout the day with the latest news and also don't forget our hourly audio updates, our little podcasts from 9am on deadline day, use the discount code TRANSFERPOD to become a full subscriber. Oh yeah, and one other thing, check out the deadline day quiz just to pass the time if things aren't going to plan for your club on deadline day. is well worth uh, just testing your deadline day knowledge. I will be back throughout the day on deadline day with those uh, mini podcasts from 9am. I look forward to spending it with you. I'll see you then.